0: Welcome to the Nonlinear Library, where we use text-to-speech software to convert the best writing from the rationalist and EA communities into audio. This is two tentative concerns about Phil's macroeconomic stabilization policy work, published by Remelt on January 3, 2022 on the Effective Altruism Forum. Here's something I've been pondering on and off for about two years now, but frankly know little about. I'm an amateur, and just found three hours to write up my speculations. Would love to get your vigorous input and corrections, particularly on economic considerations where you have some expertise as an academic or practitioner. OpenPhil argues monetary policymakers currently face political pressure to overemphasize risks of inflation relative to the suffering and lost output caused by unemployment. Holden Karnofsky elaborates more on it here. We've come to the view that there's an institutional bias in a particular direction. We believe that there is more inflation aversion than is consistent with a most good for everyone attitude. We think some of that bias reflects the politics and pressures around the Federal Reserve. We've been interested in macroeconomic stabilization for a while. There's this not very well known institution, which is not very well understood and makes esoteric decisions. It's not a big political issue, but it may have a bigger impact on the world economy and on the working class than basically anything else the government is doing. Maybe even bigger than anything else that anyone is doing. I think it's kind of a twofer. We haven't tried to do the calculations on both axes but certainly, it seems like it could provide broad-based growth and lower unemployment. There are a lot of reasons to think fuss might lead to better societal outcomes. Outcomes such as better broad-based values, which are then reflected in the kinds of policies we enact and the kinds of people we elect. I also think that if the economy is growing, and especially if that growth is benefiting everyone across the economy if labor markets are tighter, and if workers have better bargaining power, better lives, better prospects in the future, then global catastrophic risk might decrease in some way. I haven't totally decided, how does the magnitude of that compare to everything else? But I think if we had the opportunity to go bigger on that cause, we would be thinking harder about it. And Alexander Berger here. We've also done a bunch of work on US policy causes, including macroeconomic stabilization. We're not currently planning to grow that work as much because we think we probably can find some better opportunities in the future. So we're not totally sure about the future of that program we're not actively winding it down, but we haven't been doing a lot more. We have been thinking about pivoting a little bit more to work in Europe, where if you just compare the EU policy response to the Great Recession to the American one, I think there's a huge gap. And also frankly, the recoveries to the Great Recession, as much as I complained about the US policy response, the degree of self-inflicted wounds by European monetary policymakers is I think genuinely somewhat astonishing. Obviously there are concerns. We're an American funder. We don't know as much about policy in Europe as we do about the US, and so there's risks there, and we try to be cognizant of those. But I think we might continue to do a little bit more in that space and focus more on Europe. Or at some point we might say like. I don't know if it would be literally declaring victory, but we might say like, we're not sure there's a ton more that we need to do here. The case doesn't look as good as it did before. Why don't we just step back? Rob Wiblin I guess in the US they're slightly worried that possibly the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction. People always respond to the last thing that went wrong, and now we've overlearned the lesson from 2008. But in the EU, it doesn't seem like people have learned the lesson from 2008 all that much. It seems like the EU would basically go and do exactly the same thing again. Which is strange. My paraphrase. The case OpenPhil makes is that modern macroeconomic theory supports injecting more money into the financial system to increase overall economic growth. Further, it would lower unemployment amongst and increase the bargaining power of people with lower incomes, in turn raising their material well-being and future prospects, and potentially reduce risk factors that magnify the chance of a global catastrophe occurring, say, through reducing civil unrest but that the U.S. Federal Reserve and European Central Bank face political pressures biasing their decisions towards a more conservative or hawkish monetary stance, from influence exerted by rich people who don't want to see their savings dwindle under rising inflation. So as an exercise on paper, I think those are reasonable and coherent arguments. In some way, influencing central banks, by for example funding the 2016 FedUp campaign, is a higher leverage intervention for increasing financial support to financially poor people than funding micro experiments on distributing basic incomes. When I first read Open Phil's case around two years ago, however, I noticed having an averse feeling towards it. There were some explicit reasons and historical context in the back of my mind that gave rise to that aversion, so let me expand on those below. 1. Risk of macroeconomic model error when going out of the historical distribution. For some years, I had been digging into the videos and transcripts Charlie Munger, an admittedly rich investor, i.e. someone who could be motivated to rationalize a hawkish stance, who is admired for his sharp and clear reasoning, see for example the psychology of human misjudgment. Charlie has a conservative outlook on investing and on life in general, captured by a quote he sometimes shares all I want to know is where I'm going to die, so I'll never go there. The basic argument Charlie makes against the Federal Reserve printing lots of money is that he doesn't know what the effects will be. Here's a 2013 transcript. Audience member, with the Fed buying $85 billion per month of mortgage securities and treasuries, what do you think are the long run risks to this process, and how does the Fed stop this without negative implications? Thank you. Charlie Munger, my basic answer is I don't know. Charlie Munger, I think you're, the questioner, is right to suspect that it's going to be difficult. Warren Buffett, it's going to be, yeah, it is really uncharted territory. Charlie Munger, well, generally speaking, I think that what's happened in the realm of macroeconomics has surprised all the people who thought they knew the answers, namely the economists. Who would have guessed that interest rates could go so low and stay so low for so long? Or that Japan, a mighty, powerful nation, could have 20 years of stasis after using all the tricks in the economists' bag. So I think given this history, the economists ought to be a little more cautious in believing they know exactly how to stay out of trouble when they print money in massive amounts. Warren Buffett, it is a huge experiment. Charlie Munger, yeah. Applause. Warren Buffett, what do you think the probabilities are that within 10 years you see inflation at a rate of 5% or higher a year? Charlie Munger, well, I worry about even more than inflation. If we could get through the next century with the same results we had in the last century, which involved a lot of inflation over that long period, I think we'd all be quite satisfied. I suspect it's going to be harder, not easier, in this next century. And it wouldn't surprise me, I'm not going to be here to see it but I would predict that we may have more trouble than we think, than we now think. To paraphrase Charlie, we don't know where historically unusual monetary stimulus is going to lead and it could put the entire system at risk. The Federal Reserve has already done historically unprecedented monetary stimulus interventions over the last 25 years, cumulating into pulling the interest rate at which banks lend each other money close to zero and after that going through three plus rounds of trillions of dollars of quantitative easings, buying up financial assets in the market. In the lead-up to that, stimulus directed under Alan Greenspan as Fed chair-enabled companies, fueled by more freely available debt at lower interest rates, to invest money into new enterprises and consumer loans with poor return prospects, and therefore likely exacerbated the eventual dot-com meltdown in 2000 and great financial crisis in 2008. I haven't dug into cases myself, but apparently modern macroeconomic theory has shown some success. Holden Karnofsky himself seems to be a big proponent having done some analytical work using macroeconomic models earlier in his career. There's a common tendency though amongst macroeconomists, well recognized by microeconomists, to take elegant and internally coherent models as actually representing a vastly more complex and dynamically changing system composed of interactions between living creatures. Particularly when moving out of the historical distribution like this, I think there is a risk of model error here. And since increasing monetary stimulus based on scenarios predicted using macroeconomic models amounts to running an experiment on the entire system, model error here could put the entire system at risk. I'm sure BTW that open fill analysts have thought about systemic risk here, but I haven't seen any arguments written out on this, in the case of Karnofsky, mostly optimistic cases for why influencing monetary policy makes sense. This makes me worry that they haven't taken up an appropriately cautious, precautionary principle, mindset in their analysis. 2. Historically, the Federal Reserve has failed to subsequently tighten monetary stimulus. I think a Keynesian idea that lies at the heart of Federal Reserve philosophy is that during economic recessions you offer monetary stimulus to support virtuous, reinvestment cycles, and during boom years you tighten market access to funds to prevent debt-fueled excesses. Based on my shallow reads though, it seems the Fed has a track record of repeatedly doing the former and then failing to follow through on the latter repeating rounds of stimulus starting from 1987 became referred to as the Greenspan putt, linked to a clearly disparaging Wikipedia article. The last round of serious monetary tightening I know of was in 1979, when the Federal Reserve Board led by Paul Volcker raised the federal funds rate to 20% to curb excess inflation, linked to another wiki article. Take this as a sign that I didn't do any serious literature review before writing this up. A concern here is that as a Federal Reserve Chair, you face a strong short-term incentive to not allow the economy to dip because of any monetary tightening you implement, since doing so means having to face intense criticism and scrutiny from politicians and from constituencies they represent. My vague guess is that over the long run such an incentive will bias the amount of stimulus the Fed provides more than rich people well-connected in Washington lobbying for curbing inflation. The recent US inflation hike to 6.8% is an empirical case in point, and is what finally prompted me to write a post. Question how high will the Fed board allow inflation to go from here before imposing tightening measures? My worry is that Open Phil staff might not have seriously considered that by influencing central banks to increase monetary stimulus, on top of what is already a historically unusual amount relative to the size of the targeted economy, they are locking in those central banks into tightening said stimulus less, in terms of the absolute amount the stimulus is tightened to, once debt-fueled investment bubbles start appearing. A meta-worry I have here is that OpenPhil policy analysts may tend to not consider in their effectiveness estimates enough how the existing web of incentives and processes around government institutions will determine the longer-term implementations of their funding programs, when for example OpenPhil makes grants to nonprofit lobby groups to leverage policymakers' ability to reallocate government funding. As a basic analogy, influencing the Fed to increase their monetary stimulus to help poor people is a bit like influencing more money to be spent on healthcare provisions to poor people through the Affordable Care Act, which runs against issues of intransparent pricing of medical services, lack of corrective market mechanisms, and having to build on legacy structures like healthcare insurance being provided by one's current employer, I don't know much about Obama Act either so feel free to correct me there as well. The overall premise seems right, governments can reallocate, in this case newly credited, funding to improving the welfare of people with lower incomes, but the means through which this gets enacted really matter. Thanks for listening. To help us out with a nonlinear library or to learn more, please visit nonlinear.org.